This is uh, Paul Schneiderman today on the 110th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. And my special guest today is uh, Mazvita Marari. I will share that my podcast is now on YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam. And you can also go to sportsuntoldpodcast.com. It's also running on rainieravenueradio.world. Let me get back to you, Mazvita Marari. Mazvita's been a colleague of mine in uh, Rainier Avenue Radio for over four years. Uh, Mazvita is the host of the Seattle Sports Weekly Show. He is also a Pro Football Writers Association member and a North American soccer reporter. Uh, Mazvita is the founder and CEO of CascadiaSports.net, a website I recommend that people go to. There's a lot about Seattle sports on that uh, on that website. Uh, Mazvita is a Roosevelt High School graduate, my alma mater as well. Uh, Mazvita played college soccer. He's also, I believe, a Seattle U color analyst for the men's and women's teams. Uh, Mazvita, thank you for coming on uh, Sports Untold, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. I am so honored to be on uh, your dual platform. So, Paul, thanks for having me. Well, I'm honored to have you, Mazvita. I've been intending to, to get you on for a while. We're finally doing it in uh, January 2022 as we encounter a lot of interesting issues in our world right now. And we will uh, bring out some of those issues today in our in our discussion. Well, Mazvita, I, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about your interest in sports. So why don't you share with us um, how you got the uh, the sports bug. But also, um, I know you were born in Zimbabwe. Can you share a little bit about the nation of Zimbabwe with uh, my viewers and listeners? Yeah. Well, that's a trick question. Uh, Zimbabwe. No tricks, <laughs> no tricks. No, no, no. I, great question. I wasn't expecting that one. Oh, my homeland, absolutely. Born in Zimbabwe. And uh, Zimbabwe is just... Uh, on the southwest of Africa, so it's it's above South Africa, and, uh, and to the right is uh, Maputo, Namibia. So, uh, just uh, you know, just second, uh, Mazvita. Hey, Lucius, I can't see Mazvita. Just checking in. Go ahead, go ahead, Maz. There we go. Yeah, Thank yeah you. no, absolutely, yeah, yeah, the tech. So, yeah, and uh, it was a British colony, uh, John Cecil Rhodes, and then Independence, nineteen eighty. And so uh, it's been its own, uh, you know, solitary rule by then, uh, Robert Mugabe, and now uh, Managua is the president, Managua. So uh, that, and it's, yeah, you know, it's unfortunately, there's no exciting, beautiful country in terms of Vic Falls is over there, one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, it's really like any other city you know what I mean? It's It's got potholes sometimes when you go from the main city to the country. And so other than that, it's just, it really is. It's just like any other city that you're going to find, especially that had uh, British colony rule. So really just to finish that up. So it, it's really, the house is all brick in terms of that, you know, what you can expect from, I wouldn't say early colonial from here, but more in terms of what you found on the East Coast, actually early colonial. Uh, like the Boston in terms of how the houses are built with uh, brick and all those things. Other than that, very sunny, beautiful uh, landscape, countryside, really amazing and just amazing people in terms of, uh, you know, the indigenous. So uh, from there, as I said, uh, came to 
the United States, that would be the typical African back in the 70s, where a lot of the Africans came for education, Nigerian, Zimbabwean. So, you know, uncle was at the University of Washington, decided to bring his older brother, my dad, mom, sister. So we hightailed it to, uh, to Seattle. And then, as you mentioned, went to Roosevelt High School. But it was then um, I was always into sports. I was into reporting. Dad, you know, PhD professor, mom's a doctor, and mom's a neurosurgeon. But uh, dad was a um, was a reporter for the BBC on a part time basis. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. But I always wanted to do that. And then sports was always uh, my calling. And I loved it. And the reason why is just because it's the uh, once you're on the field, Right. I'm sure we'll talk about everything else. But once you're on the field, whether it's five against five, 11 against 11, nine on nine, it's it's that container there. That's a level playing field once the whistle or whatever blows. So that was always my attraction to playing and covering it. Well, it's it's interesting to hear more about your background. It seems like you have very sophisticated parents. Um Masvina, and I want to ask you another question or two about Zimbabwe. Now, was Rhodesia the prior country before Zimbabwe? It wasn't Rhodesia basically like a white apartheid state? Yes. Yeah, John Cecil Rhodes. Uh, what it was, it was a British colony. And John Cecil Rhodes, there was North uh, Rhodesia and South Rhodesia. And so John Cecil Rhodes was the, um, well, I mean, he was in charge of Zimbabwe under apartheid. And great question in that um, Zimbabwe and South Africa were very like two brothers in the fight against apartheid. So when Zimbabwe was trying to get its independence and the freedom fighters and they, they their war, the way Zimbabwe got its independence was kind of uh, kind of how the Vietnamese, right? Uh, you know, when the Vietnam War, you had the North and the South. So the strategy was to to bring the fight into the bush. So you had the guerrilla freedom fighters in there and they were trained. So those guerrilla fighters were trained South Africa in South Africa and then came in and then the flip flop when South Africa was fighting its uh, apartheid war, those the freedom fighters were stationed in Zimbabwe. And that's where you kind of hid them because of the, the borders were close enough. And then um, 19, uh, 1980, Zimbabwe got its independence and absolutely did away with apartheid. Well, I think that history is very uh, fascinating. I certainly have learned a lot in, in your discussion. I guess I have one more question about Zimbabwe. Is there a, a, a tourism industry in Zimbabwe? Absolutely. One of the top in the, uh, in the world, uh, you know. Maybe a little self-pride they're promoting, but absolutely. Like I said, uh, Vic Falls, which is one of the seven wonders of the world, Victoria Falls, uh, Niagara Falls, the pyramids, so uh, the, the Paris, uh, the, the Leaning Tower. So, yeah, it absolutely, it's a bustling, bustling uh, tourism industry, and you not only have Vic Falls, but you also have your... Um, uh, Ah, shoot, I I forget not. Well, game parks and things like that. And so you can go there and uh, it's escaping me. But um, yeah, so you can go and tour and see the 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 um, safaris. Thank you. Yeah. So 
there's a, it's a bustling safari as well, all kinds of different safaris that you can do that's regulated. And uh, what I like about Zimbabwe is there is a regulation in terms of people coming and poaching and minimizing, you know, people taking elephant, you know, tusks and all that. So Zimbabwe's done a good job of that bustling industry. And I would, I would invite anybody to go to Zimbabwe. It's incredible. Uh, one of the top uh, golf courses that's there, um, the Harare Country Club. And so, uh, it's, yeah. Well, I, I just, just fascinating. We talk about all sorts of stuff on Sports Untold. So I, I, I like to learn about uh, countries and cultures. So, so thank you for sharing. Uh, Paul Schneier, I'm in a Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with Masavita Marari. And I encourage any listeners or viewers today that are watching us on Facebook Live to feel free to have uh, add some questions if you have any for Masavita. Masavita, you are a North American soccer reporter, and I want to tell you something. I am not the most knowledgeable soccer fan in the world, so um, when I ask you a soccer two question, please bear with me because I wanted to share my knowledge, uh, my or my very minimal knowledge with you and the listeners. Um, the, 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 the Sounders MLS franchise was launched in 2009, who would you say is the greatest Sounders MLS player who has played for the team since the franchise was launched in 2009? Montero, Casey Keller, pick one. Uh, I got to go with my guy, Clint Dempsey. And uh, we have this we have this uh, kind of nice discussion in the press box all the time. But to your point, there have been amazing, the franchise did a really good job. And if I may, Paul, before 2090, the Sounders uh, played in the North American Soccer Correct. League. And also, um, and then when that league folded, they kept on playing, uh, the equivalent to maybe like a double A, triple A. And uh, they've always been a community franchise. And some of those people that you mentioned, that's what's amazing is Casey Keller, Olympia, uh, you know, a local boy, if you will, uh, just, a, you know, they brought him over. And the Sounders have done a really amazing job of always being a community team. So Clint Dempsey, for me, why was because um, American-born, uh, he was prolific scorer. And so uh, he went overseas, taught, uh, taught um, um, and uh, uh, Fulham, it was Fulham. He's one of the greatest American soccer players, Fulham. Then they Seattle brought him here. I thought for me that was a demarcation of them bringing a superstar at that time, you know, uh, in terms of once the Sounders were a major league soccer team, they were like, okay, great. We are getting this big stars. Now, it's evolved since then. They've been, you know, bigger players. But uh, I would, and Casey, I would be remiss, you know, uh, amazing and he set the standard for goal goaltenders as well. So, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll say Casey, yeah, but Clint, Clint Dempsey by a nose. So since the two, I'm talking about the 2000, since the, the uh, 2009 version of the Sounders was established, you would, you would pick uh, Clint Dempsey as the most, uh, as the greatest Sounders player of this version of the franchise so, so far. So, okay. Okay. Sounds like a fair answer. Um, Something else I want to ask you, Masvita, about the MLS is I chat sometimes with pretty knowledgeable soccer fans, and I want to get your perspective on this. And they tend to say, I mean, there's there's a range of opinions. 
that the MLS may be at best in about the middle if you compare the MLS to other soccer pro leagues around the world. Some say maybe even lower middle. How, how do you rank the MLS compared to other pro soccer leagues around the world? It's not the English Premier League, but how would you would you put it in the middle? Help, help me quantify how you would um, sort of rank the MLS. Sure. I mean, I, I think it's climbing uh, and specifically it's now in the top 10. They had always... When the uh, the World Cup was played here, part of the reason why the World Cup was was here was hey, create a um, one of the stipulations that FIFA makes the football association bodies is they said you need a uh, professional soccer league. So uh, Major League Soccer was created, and they had always there was always talk about you know what Don Garber the commissioner we want to be one of the top leagues. You know, I think, like I said, probably in the top 10, um, probably I would say six. Let's take a look, because if you to your point, the English Premier League, uh, the Bundesliga, uh, La Liga, which is uh, in Germany, um, Eurodivisie, uh, which is the Dutch. Uh, what else is there? Um, the most South American leagues are great, too, aren't they? They are, and, 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 and it's been really good now in terms of that's where uh, now you have this great battle between La Liga, which is Mexican, uh, if you will, and also uh, and the North American Soccer League. And to some extent, the Major League Soccer hasn't quite caught up there because the two leagues are now, there's certain players go back and forth, and were you having players from over there come here, Nicholas Ladero and some of those other ones coming and being a little, you know, making success. But as a team and as a league, Major League Soccer, I would say, is behind the um, uh, the, the Spanish. And so League MX, if you will. And so part of that, why would I say that is because there's a couple of tournaments that they have, the Champions League that they have. And so right now, the league MX always dominates those. And um, so I, 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 yeah, I, I think it's climbing. I think the switch now uh, credit to major league soccer is the young players. They used to kind of have the old players, right. You know, kind of uh, the, the aged out American players that were here to my, like I was saying, Clint Dempsey went o- overseas, right. At the height, he came back. What you're having now is, the colleges are, are bringing out quality American soccer players now. Stanford, I mean, you can take a look at the Sounders draft of two players yesterday. Um, one from SU and one just from here, from the UW, right? And both of those made it to the uh, to the NCAA Division playoffs, and they got as far as the semifinals. But um, so Jordan Morris, as an example, right, played at Stanford, and now he, you know, played here. So the younger players are coming in and where Major League Soccer is having to make a decision or the player does is, do I go overseas? And that's what a lot of the players are now doing. And that's creating a void here. But because of the quality of players, you're now seeing the league actually thriving and having better quality players. Like right now, the the U.S. men's, national soccer team. A lot of those players aren't playing in Major League Soccer. They're 
you've got players like Dest and all those guys, and they're playing overseas. They're playing for the Barcelonas, you know, and which is it? And and Chelsea, Christian Pulisic, if you will. That's a testament in terms of soccer in America itself. What's changed is when those guys are overseas, the people that are now taking those place are pretty decent. You're Jordan Morris's. So long-winded answer, Paul, but American Soccer League keeps on climbing. And I just don't know if it'll ever get past seven or eight, uh, given, you know, you can't compete with the English Premier League, the Bundesliga, the English Premier League by far, right? And uh, the money that's there. And that's, that's just what it, that's like the NFL. You know what I mean? You just, that's what it is. So a lot of great information there, Masvita. Let me just see if I can break this down with a baseball analogy. I mean, a lot of American sports fans sort of relate to baseball analogies. Would you say the MLS is maybe a double A or triple A um, kind of league? If you were to use a major league an analogy with pro baseball. Yeah, with the quantifier now, I would say double A only because if I remember, you, now you, you follow baseball as well. A double A player sometimes can skip the triple A. You know what true, I mean? But true. So I would say it's a hybrid of both. And why I say that, Paul, is because uh, to simplify the answer, let's say triple A. But there is now players, Major League Soccer is a lot of those players are doing well in Major League Soccer, but it's a hit and miss right now if you play Major League Soccer and then go overseas. I don't know if that answers it, but I, I would it definitely... Good, good points. Yeah, yeah. I you know, as a very it. casual fan, it seemed to me when, when the MLS had David Beckham um, several years ago, I, just watching it from afar, it seemed like, is this going to help the MLS climb in pro sports and soccer um, circles that Beckman, Beckman played for in the MLS. But anyhow, that, that that may be a little superficial point, but it struck me that that was sort of a breakthrough, well, wasn't it? It's actually a great point. I think that the uh, Major League Soccer didn't want to do what the North American Soccer League when it went belly up. And so they were bringing over-the-hill English players. I mean, that and you, you have Georgie Best. You have some of the most amazing players, but the problem is they were – not past their prime, past, 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 past their prime, you know? And so Major League Soccer uh, did a fantastic job of bringing those players, the Beckhams, for a while, for the recognition, for TV, and then kind of, you know, ease them out or, you know, move them out of the way and then kind of went young. Lot there, lot there. Very educational, uh, especially for a guy like me who's trying to learn more about soccer in general. Paul Schneiderman again hosts the Sports Untold podcast with Mazavita Marari, also a host uh, on our Rainier Radio show, which I encourage people to listen to. I uh, enjoy Mazavita's show, uh, CL Sports Weekly. Uh, Mazavita, I want to ask you about the Kraken. You cover them a bit on your CascadiaSports.net website, which I also encourage people to take a look at. And I want to ask you something about the Kraken's current position in the standings. They're in the last place of their division. And here's my question for you. Um, do you have any concerns that the Kraken craze in Seattle could be minimized if the Kraken um, continue to play at this basement level? Is this, is this a perspective long-term problem for the Kraken if in the next couple of years they can't 
play playoff caliber kind of hockey? Great question. Um, I think the Las Vegas Knights a couple years ago kind of created an unrealistic expectation. They're the last expansion team. They get in and they make it all the way to Stanley Cup. So everybody's like, oh, sure, you can. Uh, So there was that out there, but, you know, as the dust settles, uh, the Kraken right now, as you say, in last place. But, no, I don't think you'll you'll get as many biggest crowds as you're getting now, but I think you will, you know, you'll eventually find a nice, healthy crowd because Seattle does have a long history of supporting uh, hockey. Um, let's say, well, it's got to be, what, 17,000 is a sellout. I'm kind of guessing here. I think you probably go down to 11, you know. Let's And what I mean by that is on a bad night. You know what I mean? On a dark, rainy Seattle night. We have a few of those, you know. Yeah, you, right? <laughs> and it's not a, it's not a, the greatest team. It's two last place teams. I, I don't You know, you might find 12,000. Um, and if they're still in last place, if you will. Because what that, there's a solid fan base. And then, of course, the big nights you're playing, you know, the Vancouver uh, Canucks, you know what I'm saying, on the Montreal Canadiens and, you know, what have you. Sure, it'll be a sellout. So, nah, I mean, I think I think it'll you'll get a healthy following, which the front, enough for the front office not to be concerned. You know what I mean? For it to, the attendance to go down and you're like, what do we got to do now? So, um, I kind of like the Mariners, if you will. You know what I mean? But I think their fan base, and I'm skipping over, but the Mariners fan base is kind of, you know, went up. I think you have, you'll have, you'll always have active hockey fans as opposed to casual ones that are wait and see. You'll have more active that'll go to the games and there'll be enough of those for it to be a good product and for it to be a self-sustaining financial uh operation it's something else Mazvia, you you probably agree at this point is the crack in ownership and management they've proven to be very savvy sports marketing and, and quality control people so i i have confidence that the crack and ownership group would not accept having a team that's in continual last place or towards the bottom kind of hockey no, absolutely. Todd Lightwicky and uh, that whole group. I mean, you know, they, the, their expectation is to win the Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? And so so they're willing to, to put in and do whatever it takes in terms of, you know, draft picks and financial contracts and things like that. To They want to make sure they're committed to putting a, a competitive uh team on there because it doesn't matter who it is if you if you're not competitive after a while you know fans aren't it's not gonna happen they're gonna go their own way we'll have to see we'll have to see it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the kraken um improve and if so at what level and there, there, there are some unanswered questions but i but uh, your points are, are thoughtful all right, I got a more heavier question for you, Mazavita. I'm, I'm going to bring this one on. And sure. I'm reading that with the China Winter Olympics, the United States is planning to send its Olympic athletes, but not send a formal diplomatic mission, um, heavily due to some 
human rights issues going on with the, the government of China. Now, back in 1980, some believed that President Carter should have allowed the American athletes to compete in the 80 Moscow Olympics, but did it under protest. Uh, what do you think about this idea of the U.S. Um, sending its our athletes, but not sending a formal diplomatic mission? Uh, I like it. I mean, I, th I think that you... The process, I'm assuming the process was, you, you know, you talk to the different individual Olympic bodies inside the United States, right? And say, uh, do you all want to go? Uh, it comes on the, you know, on the auspices of you don't want to penalize the athletes. If the athletes want to go, then let them, because given all that, you know, that they practiced and everything else, um, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a political football, you know, um, and you political football. I'm going to steal that line from you, Maz. So yeah, yeah, that's an old one. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, and, and that's what it is. I mean, you can you can say, well, yeah, you know, we're going to pull our diplomats and make sure and all those things, but you can't really do that because your consulate, you got to make sure that you've got officials that are there from the government to, just in case something goes wrong. You know what I mean? So, you know, all you're doing is, if I'm aware, is you're just pulling the, uh, you're closing the consulates. You know what I mean? The, the embassies, if you will. Um, and then you let the, you know, the then you can say, well, you know, we don't want to penalize the athletes. And so we want them to play. And, you know, it's up to them. They worked really hard. Then you got the COVID issues. The NHL's decided not to allow the uh, NHL players to play in the hockey uh, phase of the 2022 Olympics in Beijing. So the COVID's out there too, isn't it? Yeah, and Paul, I, now I'll, I'll, I'll do a hot take. I mean, I think if you're going to do in terms of uh, human rights, I think you can, whatever. But I think if you go in COVID, I don't think you should have the Olympics. Gotcha. So for COVID reasons, you could support the United States deciding not to send our athletes this year then. I think it, the whole, which is, another, you know, the Olympic, uh, as, a, as a whole Olympic body is a whole other discussion we could talk about, but I, it, it would, it would have to be unified. I mean, I, I, I think if it's just the United States, then no, but I guess my point is, is it, if you see the NHL saying we're not sending a million dollar athletes out there because of COVID reasons, right. what does that say about each of the countries say, well, the amateur athletes, and they're not amateur, they get paid, they have contracts, but for them to say, well, they can go. Is it a COVID risk or not? Lot there, lot there. You know, when I think about Olympics ga Olympic Games, I think about the 1936 Nazi Olympics in Berlin when the United States sent a delegation and Jesse Owens had those uh, Olympic gold medals he got. So it, it, th those are complex issues. Do, do you send athletes to a rogue, to a city hosting, um, to a rogue government, a city in a rogue government that's hosting Olympics? So those are those are tough issues. Yeah, I mean, I and the Jesse was more in terms of, I think Hitler was on the forefront and his whole concept was the whole injustice and racism that he felt and he wanted to prove his his agenda in terms of the, this inferior race. So I'm going to be on the front end. 
And I'd say, you know what? And if you, at that time, the U.S. Olympic, you're like, you know what? Okay, we got some athletes we're going to send there to offset this kind of message that you're trying to do. Uh, I, you know, and I would say that, you know, Jesse Owens, people say that in terms of it was just for the Blacks, African-Americans, but you know what? Look, come on. You got to remember Hitler's message just wasn't about, you know, African-Americans and all of that, right? I mean, that's not what, uh, Hitler's message was about. It was just all, right? It was just all these people. If you weren't the Aryan race and you weren't that, you were inferior and we all know what history had to say. So I would just a quick shout out to say what Jesse Owens did was just not only for the African-Americans and the Black, but it was for all non-Aryan non um, individuals. And that's why I thought it was good to send, you know, Jesse Owens and uh, what the United States did back. Well, it was a real triumph what Jesse did in the 36 Olympics. I will comment that a lot of historians have some complex views of whether we should have sent a athletic delegation to 36 Olympics. That's a whole nother conversation. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of speculation about if we didn't do it, what could have happened and all that, but a lot there. Um, I got one more pretty heavier topic and then we'll yeah, try to move to some, bring, bring it on I, I got some other topics aren't quite as heavy but um there a lot of attention is going on this week with the uh who some say is the greatest tennis player in the world um novak i don't pronounce i may not pronounce his last name very well uh dakovic Dukov, I mean, I, i'm sorry i'm bungling Dokovic. his last Djokovic. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely bungling his last name. i'll just call him novak d for for these purposes um, there's a story that broke today that he apparently did not isolate right away after he got COVID. There's a big discussion about whether Australia should pull his visa. There's an allegation over a false declaration. What do you think? Should Australia pull his visa and get him out of there? Where, where, where do you stand this whole thing with uh, the great tennis player Novak D? I think if I, if I was the Joker, that's his name, he, uh, I, I, I would pull out. You think Australia should just tell him you're not welcome in our country? No, 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 no. I'm saying he should pull out. Oh, he should pull out. Okay. He okay. should pull out. Absolutely. I think at some point, you, you know, this is now, it's tainting for me who he is. And I like Djokovic and just watching him, you know, kind of, you know, when he beat Sampras's record, you know, and he's going on and, you know, beating Agassi and, and everybody else. And then obviously uh, Federer and his climb. And I was like that, but he's, this is the thing. He's now at a point where you are the face of tennis, you know? And so is this about you and when it's more just about you winning and how you do But isn't he refusing to pull out much though? That's no, my I, understanding, you know. So I don't, I don't think he's going to voluntarily pull out. That's my understanding. No, no, no. You ask me what I think. I, yeah. I think he should pull out. Now, gotcha. if you want to have that discussion in terms of what the government should do. Yeah. So right yeah. now, the latest thing that came out, I, like you're saying from the New York Times, I read it this morning. So he's coming out and saying, well, I had this false negative, and and then I went to a basketball game, and then I took this false, but then it became positive, and then I did a photo shoot. And I'm like, come on, man. You know, you're being... Your integrity is on the line. The government, so what, where they're at now is the minister, right? The Australian foreign minister is debating whether, no, you shouldn't play. 
you, they should definitely send him home because part of what came out today was also he lied in terms of on the falsifying documents. You are absolutely giving privilege to this guy. You are absolutely giving privilege, and it's a mixed message in terms of what you told your people in terms of their COVID restrictions and everything else. At the beginning, maybe the Australian Association. I think tennis is just. Please, let's not go there. I think the whole tennis thing is all about money. Some old people that need to move and uh, get off there, whether it's Wimbledon. Uh, tennis associations you know. have their issues, no doubt about it. Uh, they've got major issues, and, and I'll take one more minute of the airtime. But they no, got major issues. And they've got to go. They, they really have got to go. They're controlled of power. We saw that with Wimbledon. We saw that. With Nasoka, you know, I mean, it, with the women and the, the continual what they do with Serena Williams, stop it, just stop it. You know what I mean? And same thing with Djokovic. I, I think that had he not lied, you could have made a point. You know what I'm saying? But now the guy is lying. It's it, it's 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 obvious, and it's become more about football. I mean, about uh, tennis. It become political. It's just become a political buffoonery. And, oh, by the way, again, it demeans, I think, the Australian Open, which Rod Labor took years to establish as a, uh, you know, I mean, as one of the, uh, you know, the marquee tennis events. And now this is all going to be remembered by itself. There you go, Paul. You asked. I had to go. No, a lot, lot, lot there. Real quickly, um, I, one of my Facebook friends, Alan Johnson, commented that you were his Laurelhurst uh, Parks Department basketball coach at one time. So, I just got a post that uh, Alan Johnson wanted to, who I know wanted to mention that. So, oh, good looking out! I, hey, is he still practicing his free throws? <laughs> yeah. I, I know he's a big sailor. Has a lovely wife, Sharon. But anyway, I just just saw. Oh, that. that's Alan awesome. Had a, that's... Alan had a comment there. Oh, um, yeah, a lot there. And I, I got. We'll move on from this discussion about um, Novak D. Um, but one thought I have is there's a lot of resentment when you have like athletes and movie stars who seem to think they should have exemptions for normal laws and codes that others should have. And this story, I think, reflects that in many, many ways. There's privilege. There's yeah. absolutely privilege. And we know it happens, but when, when you're caught in a lie, that's the issue. So... Well, it looks like he, he he may have been at least misleading to some extent. I will give a lawyerly answer to that, but but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, total. Am I leading the witness, Your Honor? <laughs> yeah, there you go, there you go. A total one eighty shift, Masvida. Um, I've asked this question to several recent guests um, since over the last few months. Uh, what is your favorite sports movie? And I'm going to mention one. We're talking about tennis. I thought the Battle of the Sexes that came out a couple years ago about Bobby Riggs's famous tennis match against Billie Jean King is kind of an underrated sports movie. It may not be my favorite, but that was a good one. So anyhow, but what 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 would be your favorite sports movie, Moz? Dang, sports movie. Uh, good Lord. Uh, heck, I think the, the one with Sylvester Stallone. You know I'm going to go there. Rocky. No, 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 no. I mean, Rocky is there. Rocky is there. There's no... Yeah, okay, if you kind of... Rocky is there, the original one, but I think the one where he was, uh, uh, he was, uh, they were prisoner of war camp, 
uh, him and a couple other people. I forget. I'd have to Google Rambo? it. Rambo? Not Rambo. That was no, 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 no. They end up playing a soccer game oh, against okay. the captors. And then, of course, they win. And then they, they break out of the prison. So, But you know what? Just for the sake of simplicity, uh, uh, Rocky, obviously. Um, yeah, I. you know, I the... You know, the one Costner, I, 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 they were fine. But yeah, I'll go with Rocky. Rocky's a good choice. One. Rocky's a yeah, good choice. Yeah. I'll go with the first one. There are some good ones. I have a book on sports movies that came out about 15 years ago. So I've been on a little sports movies uh, um, high horse. Uh, Alan Johnson just commented. He says Hoosiers. So yes, uh, yes. That's a yeah. good one. You know, Hoosiers, a classic one. Slapshot is a classic one. Um, now that you got me going, and I would also say uh, James Con Rollerball. I like that. I just James watched Con. that one recently. I just watched Rollerball, and I, I, I think Jay, I'd love to get James Con on my show. Talk about Brian Song and Rollerball because he's, he's oh, been there, a bunch yeah, of there you go. Movies, so. Brian Song is another one. That's another uh, one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you for, for pulling that out. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. It's hard to pick one, but I, I want. I wanted to throw out that tennis movie for fun since we were talking a little tennis talk. All right, I got a couple more questions from Osvito. These are two questions I've been asking guests since about late 2019, and I and I, the, the, we can call this the, the Paul Schneiderman uh, questions, but I, I can't help it. I enjoy these two questions, and I get wonderful answers. Um, who is a living sports figure that you would love to interview? It could be a, a coach, general manager, player, whatever. And who is a deceased figure in sports history you would have loved to have chatted with or interviewed? Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, surviving who, and deceased. Yeah, surviving and deceased. Uh, that one I haven't. Uh, I'm trying to I give you some uh, clues that some other guests have said. You want me to give you a few clues to those questions? Kind of. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, for living sports figures, I've received Floyd Merriweather, Sandy Koufax, Willie Mays, Charles Barkley, Serena Williams. Um, all sorts of names have come up. And for deceased sports figures, I've received Babe Ruth and your friend from Roosevelt, Mark Patterson, had a great answer. He answered uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, I think was the first man to climb Mount Everest. Um, Hank Aaron. Um, Alan Dershowitz, the famous attorney, mentioned he loved to have chatted with some of the famous Negro baseball players like Josh Gibson. I've got some great answers to those two questions. So I, I figured I'd throw you a couple clues. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah that'll roll. Uh, Sasha Page would have been kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. Jesse Owens, without a doubt. Great answer. Um, um, I this is a flex or not, but I, I mean, I did have lunch with Muhammad Ali, so I would, you know what I mean. That wow, I would do it again. That's um, a story. I have to hear about that. When was yeah. that? When did you have lunch with Ali? Uh, Goodwill Games. I was working for uh, Cairo. I mean, uh, for King Radio, when King Radio did, hosted a Goodwill Games. And so, uh, 1990. Yeah. 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 Gosh, so you met uh, him and had lunch with him. Yeah. The was he friendly? He was incredible. His ambiance and it was the thing that amazing, what was amazing about him is he made me feel like I was important. Like his aura and everything else had me feeling that I was important, which, you know, you and I, like, you know, like you've interviewed a lot of people and, you know, Patterson's like that too, but there's certain people that you, you're like, wow. And yet they create a space where you feel 
like why you're important, not less than. Um, it's always the, nice to meet any person, Masvidal, whether they're famous or not, that takes a little interest in the other person. Unfortunately, a lot of people are not like that. Yeah, so. yeah, no, especially genuine. Right. Uh, in a way, I'm trying to think. Uh, great, yeah, well, Jesse Owens is a great name of, and Satchel Page are great names of deceased athletes that you'd love to chat with. And you met Muhammad Ali. Let's go to Bob, surviving. Let's go back to surviving. Uh, oh, okay. But I'll throw out Paul Gasconi. Um, but uh, surviving, surviving, surviving. Living, was, a living sports figure. You just yeah, love to living, chat uh, You know what? Uh, and I'll give you this one you should think about. I'm about you could talk about it. But uh, Michael Chang, who lives tennis player, who lives in, in Mercer Island. Uh, That's a great name. Topic. I haven't heard his yeah. name come up. Yeah. yeah. Addison uh, answered Jimmy Connors to that question. That's He thought that was a living sports figure he loved to chat with is Jimmy Connors. But Michael Chang's a great name. I've talked with... <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Um... I talked with Pete Sampras and uh, wow, what's his name? Knucklehead who's always yelling and everything else. Uh, 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 McEnroe. McEnroe. Yeah, interviewed him as well. So he was awesome. But um, wow, those are big names, Mars. Well, yeah. Well, I, look, let me answer the question. I'm not trying to flex. Well, I'm digressing uh, too because I'm so I'm yeah. So no, that well, you know. I'll shut uh, up for a second. No, 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 no. Please, I thank you again. It's great to be on your show. I'm just, oh. I'm just even trying to go to what sport. Uh, um, oh, Alex Ferguson, of course. Um, I would. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going. I'm like Willie Mays would be an incredible living sports figure to chat with. Yeah, yeah, Ricky Henderson. That's a great uh, name, Ricky Henderson. Uh, yeah. w- w- would be a good one. Basketball. I think Steph Curry. Uh, you know, Curry would be a good one. Oh no! Forget them all. Uh, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. That's who you'd pick of all these names of living sports figures. He, now, do you know the story about Steve Kerr about well, his dad? Yeah, in Beirut. Yeah, there's there's his, yeah. yeah. I yeah, mean, a... just you. Of course, you would know. You know what I'm saying? And then everything he's seen. That's right. Steve Kerr is one way up there. He's the one you'd pick of the living sports figures love to chat with. Yeah, yes. you've got great names. Ricky Henderson, Michael Chang, but you would pick uh, Steve Kerr. I, I love would, it. I would die to have a discussion with Steve Kerr. That's a great name. Love it. Love it. Paul Schneiderman, host of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio with my Rainier Avenue Radio uh, fellow uh, host, Masvita Morari. All right, Masvita, we're going to shift for a minute to co- the college playoff issue with college football. And I'm reading, I read the New York Times piece about this yesterday, that the powers that be, the major conference figures and all the, the, the big wigs of college football are having trouble coming up with a uh, plan for, the, for college football playoffs. Right now, it's basically like a Final Four system. You take the top four, and that's pretty much it. Now, I want to ask you about this proposal. One proposal calls for a 12-team playoff uh, for where the six highest-ranked conferences would their their conference championship would be would be among the six, and then the next six would be um, the team the next the six highest next highest ranked teams. Do you like that proposal? Taking the top six conference champions and the next six best teams. I simply put, I think yeah, I think winning your conference should mean something. There's no doubt about that. I I mean I think the Big Power Five. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the sixth one would be, but the big power five, you win your conference uh, championship 
then uh, you go. You get a seating. And when I read that, I, I'm with you. I wasn't quite sure if maybe it was a typo. Are they talking about the top five conferences, the top six? We normally hear about the power of five, but maybe yeah, yeah, they want to yeah. add a six, the, the six best conference into it. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I got some mixed opinions about this whole thing. I, I You may think I sound kind of outdated. I still have a soft spot for the bowl games. And one reason is I like seeing some of these mid-sized cities um, or cities that are not really on the national map all the time, like maybe El Paso, Texas, Shreveport, Louisiana, have a chance to host a bowl game. There's something about that I like. Am I am I thinking too much like the 1970s, 1980s? I, um, I don't think that it would make the bowl games irrelevant. True. You know what I mean? True. I think you're already there now, and that's why you're teetering on the knife edge, so to speak. You know, because players now that are playing in the Holiday Bowl might, you know, like, you know, you saw what happened to Alabama, the receiver, you know what I mean? And these knuckleheads, talking heads on TV, as you kind of glanced over, like, well, if you're not playing for national championship, you shouldn't be playing. I'm like, no, 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 no. I think the expansion makes some of those bowl games relevant. I, I'm with you. Bowl games uh, serve as a reward for the teams that aren't, you know, in the playoffs. I mean, I, I do. And the ex- the ex- Expansion should happen sooner than later. It's all about money. And obviously the powers don't want, you know, they want to keep the money down south, if you will. You know, Alabama, Georgia, you know, LSU. Let's just make sure they're the, both of those are in. But, pretty, pretty good game the other night, for sure. But you like the top, you like a top 12 system for the, for the college football playoffs. Yeah, they're probably going to go to a top eight. I thought the best game I saw was the Rose Bowl. So, you know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but going back from... I love the Rose Bowl. I love it. I'm a Rose Bowl fan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it must be a Roosevelt thing because even back when we played, that was the thing. You know what I mean? Like, you went to, like, Damon Jones and met up with Patterson. Everybody went to somebody's house and watched the Rose Bowl. And that was always kind of the, uh, you know... The Grand Dive Mall. I went to the Ohio State-Washington game in January 2019 I think of that as a whole different era, you know, before all the, the, the pandemic craziness happened. I had a heck of a time. Unfortunately, Washington beat Ohio State, but I, I still have a soft spot for the Rose Bowl. But there's some, there, another proposal I heard, Mazvita, is to have a, the, to take the top six for the college football playoffs and give the top two a bye. Do you like a system like that? Um, that probably – and I think it's a top six because – Paul, they will take somebody from a uh, non-power five. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And they would be in the top six. So um, I I like the buy. I do because what it does is slots down. It brings back that because now you can bring in two bowl, two teams, uh, two bowl games are relevant. You know what I'm saying? Like if you do, if you have the non-buy, your bowl games are going to be 12. This way they sit out and then you go ahead and you, you know, I mean, you do what, you know, one, one side of the bracket, one on the other side, just like they do in basketball. Let's just get it over with already. Jeez. You know it, what I it's mean? Been I, a, it's been going on for years how to figure out the college football playoff system. I, I don't know. I could, The one thing about having a top, taking the top six and giving the top two a bye, there would definitely be controversies, Mazzavito, who the top two teams are that should get the bye. That would be a whole, new, a whole new issue that could come up in some years. We'll take your number one, number two. Yeah, I think – I don't think if you go six and four, I no. I, I mean, I think you have to go eight or twelve to give the top two a buy. And I think you just go by your, 
you know, at the end of the, you know, the bowl rank, I mean, whatever they are, the BCS, one, two, boom, the way you go. See if they can get it figured out. It's been going on a long time. All right, Mazvita, I, I got a, you got time for a few more questions? Absolutely, Great, sir. great. So the Seahawks went 7-10 and 10 this year, and I'm, I'm getting a few of these points from Larry Stone's recent column. Um, was a 7-10 season an aberration or part of an unstoppable decline of the Seahawks? That, that's, that, that's how Larry Stone posed it. Got to make sure I attribute my sources, you know. So, so what do you think? Uh, Larry's a, a, I call him an old G. But he always says he's because he's the old G reporter, but he said he's not the oldest because Art Teal is. But to answer <laughs> your question, it's an aberration. People forget uh, who won the um, the NFC West last year. Seahawks. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I would say uh, it's, it's an aberration. Um, it, have Pete tell it, right? We, our quarterback was out for uh, four, uh, four games. Their top running back was also, you know, Chris Carson. You went through that. Uh, your center, the center position, Fuller and Posick, that battle never materialized early. And in the end, Posick won it. Um, and it just took a year for them to to get Wal- Waldron's uh, offense, Shane, as the offensive. They just didn't play. I, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. They didn't have enough reps during early on in the season to get into their playbook. Later on, they did, and you saw that. You know, the Rashad Penny resurgence obviously helped. Defense, I think, uh, they missed. Um, Do you give yeah, Penny I, a so big I, contract, Masvita? What's that? Do you give Rashad Penny a big contract now based on his on his uh, impressive performances this season? I think you re-sign him. Um, I don't know about a big contract. I think it's either – a two-year contract, you guarantee the first year, you give him a big sign-in bonus, you know what I mean? Because uh, he's going to want a little, you said it yesterday, you know, I said, hey, he's going to look at their business decision, but he wants to stay here. So you give him a fair contract. I mean, you don't give him a home, you know, don't do the home, uh, what is it, the, the home discount, you know what I'm saying? The home team Hometown discount. Hometown discount, but, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, football, yeah, yeah. yeah, you yeah. give him two years and the third one, you know, We'll, we'll negotiate with that because this year he he was like he played his you didn't pick up his fourth year this year and he showed you that you know what he's worth it so yes you re-sign him do you bring back russell wilson pete carroll and john schneider they are coming back they there was never any nothing like that jody allen is a billionaire paul you're a lawyer lawyers and billionaires do their homework not all back they, they, they know exactly what's going on. They understand value. So, yeah, if nothing else, uh, you bring the band for one more run. And it's really amazing. This this was in the Seattle Times uh, this week. I think in Bob Condota's column. The Seahawks are the only NFC team to score more points than they allow. They are the only losing NFC team to score more points than they allowed. A 29-point differential, which is interesting. And the Hawks did well um, – didn't do well at this point differential with a seven and ten record. The Mariners, meanwhile, win ninety games, and my gosh, think it—it's it, it just—it's so it's sort of interesting in Seattle sports in twenty twenty one. There was a little difference in the point differential issue between the Mariners and the Seahawks, mm. or run differential in baseball. But yeah, little observation there. Um, Tom Brady, twenty twenty one Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. 
my gosh, could Brady be the 2022 Sports Person of the Year? I mean, just pretty incredible what Tom Brady is doing, isn't it? Yeah, he's shady, but okay. Yeah, yeah, he's absolutely, absolutely. I, what I like about Brady is his determination uh, much more than anything else. You know, his ability to play with that chip on his shoulder at a high level, I think is one of those things. That's what makes him so great. One of the greatest, you know what I mean? I mean, it's that high performance from whether it was where he was drafted to leaving the Patriots and all of that stuff. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think I'd give him 2022. I got a thought on Brady and, and feel free to challenge me on this. It kind of bugs me that Brady got nailed in the whole deflate gate thing. And, you know, he's he's denied it, but the evidence, I think, was pretty strong that he messed around with the ball. Then you have guys like Bonds and Clemens in baseball that will never get over this this steroid stigma. And and the, and, 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 and those two guys were actually acquitted in their criminal cases. So, I don't know, is, that, is it apples and oranges that Brady just seems to escape a lot of scrutiny on this whole deflate gate thing? We have some baseball players that seem to be never get over the steroids allegations. Uh, a leadership in terms of who the commissioner is on both of those and understanding the value uh, and then turning on their players. I like uh, um, the current commissioner because he, he understood the value of Brady and everything else. And you knew that was going to happen. But uh, I thought the baseball commissioner, it was shameful because you used that generated money. Uh, chicks love chicks. Chicks loved long ball, you know what I mean? And so you rode with that and everything else. Uh, but they also, you know, I mean, one was the allegations were pretty, you know, uh, yeah, baseball's a hop. I always talk about this with some other day. Baseball's always kind of set their own rules and they're so archaic. I mean, I'm not saying if you're cheating that it's okay. Trying to get a competitive advantage is fine. If you're caught, then go right ahead. And that's what Brady should have been. The same thing. And that I agree with you. These guys were never really caught. Like you said, the, it was acquitted. Fine. Get over it and move forward for the good of your game. Just like the NFL got it. Okay, boom. They, the NFL always gets that. And I don't believe Clements and Bonds ever formally tested positive um, right. For, right. For, for Royds. I'm not saying those guys don't have any culpability, but but putting on the, the, the proof hat, it's, it's a little weak. But that's a whole other conversation. No, we agree, Paul. We absolutely agree. So, yeah. Well, I got a, another question for the audience. Uh, Lucius, can you put up that question? Thank you. So from Dre Bershane, a friend, big sports fan. Dre asks, who should the Seahawks draft in the second, third, and who should their two fourth-round picks be? He also has a question about Iowa State running back Brees Hall as maybe being a prospective draft pick. So do you want to, do you want to try to feel those questions that Dre Bershane has asked? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Jeez, uh, you got some smart sport fans. I don't know if I can say. They help me a lot, but, that's for sure. Yeah, I haven't done the pre-draft, but I can say what position they need. And he is right. Nicely said in terms of you do need to draft a running back. Right. So what you're going to running back position, you bring in Rashard Penny, uh, you draft somebody and then you're probably going to get a veteran. I don't think Chris Carson is going to come back. Uh, I will be, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not there, but that neck injury is lingering and, and it's just one of those things that, you know, as tough you know, injury. so, um, I, yeah, it's a tough injury. So, um, I, you know, okay. So what do you need? 
the receivers are pretty well set late round you would pick up a receiver again get get a running back early and then get a wide receiver later because you don't really you just want a competitive ad advantage there i mean you're you know you're three or set in terms of Metcalf and Lockett, but I don't know Freddie Swain, you know what I'm saying? But DK Estridge is also, he's ready. So you're bringing something for competitive advantage. So Brees Hall's a name that Dre brought up and Iowa State running back. I frankly know nothing about him, but that was a name. Yeah, no, yes, yes, up, so. I, yeah. Good um, player. I would do that. I would get him early. I would get him in, you know, in one of your top three picks that you have. Um, and then your defensive line. I think that's, that's really where... You got to try to figure that out. Uh, linebackers, I think you're okay, but you, D-line was probably, uh, I would use my first pick on a D-line, the second round pick on a D-line because of, uh, you know, Dunlap did well, couldn't afford. You shifted people in and out, but you got to try to get a stud that maybe not ready now, but ready, but is effective next year. And your cornerback, uh, right now you got to pick a free safety because of Quandre Diggs, you know, I mean, I think he's fine and everything else, but you know, uh, organizations you rebuild. So you got to pick a corner, uh, cornerbacks definitely. And a free safety. And no first run uh, draft pick this year. And I don't know. I don't know. Masvita, where you think of this? It just seems like the Seahawks sure gave up a lot of their future to get, um, Jamal Adams, but that's, a. Uh, it didn't seem like that last season, did it? No, but it sure looks. But it seems like that this season. And in Seattle sports circles, I, I it's starting to look almost like the Mariners' infamous Eric Bedard trade back in the two thousand eight days. Remember, we trade like five players for Bedard. I oh, don't know. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it's, I don't. I mean, I, I would say. In some ways. Uh, I think he'll be fine. I, I think the thing is, you've got to teach him to play that Mike linebacker. You know. That, that position where uh, he's playing the run, which he can do well, but what he drops, you almost want him to be a linebacker. And if you can do that, we started to see that. Um, and having not rushed him drop back 10 yards, right? I think he'll be fine. He's a, he's one of the most energetic, energetic, athletic players. Oh, no have. doubt. It just seemed like we gave up a lot for him. Um, well, Masvita, this may be my final question. If I get you back one day, we can hit more on the Mariners and the Storm and the Huskies. You know, we hit a lot of topics today, but when I get you back, we can hit on some more stuff. So hopefully you will do that. So here's my final question you. for you today. And this is another controversial question. So I had the sports writer, author Jeff Perlman on my show a couple of years ago. He wrote, he's written books on the Lakers and the Mets and very good sports writer. He wrote a book on the USFL. And uh, Jeff is very provocative, very strong, very opinionated guy. So here was Jeff's tweet the other day. It's about the Miami Dolphins getting permission to talk to Dan Quinn to prospectively be their coach. Let me read you Jeff's tweet and tell me what you think. Here's what Perlman tweeted. This is the most incredible shit ever, ever. In a league that's 70% African-American, most teams would rather go through the white retreats they give young, impressive, successful black assistants a shot. It is beyond racism. It is racism at this point. It's racism. What do you think of Perlman's tweet on uh, Dan Quinn poss get getting the opportunity to have chats with the Dolphins about being their coach? I, I mean, we all agree with that. I mean, that's it. It is. It's racism. I, right? Why are they looking for a head coach? Um, why is Miami looking for a head coach? I mean, he went out there and uh, they won. They were eight and one with you know in the stretch. So, the NFL, uh, 
you know, they're still wanting the Rooney rules not working. So they're still out there hiring somebody that looks, talks like them. And so uh, I think it'll be interesting to see a couple of different spots. I like what the Giants did. What we want to look at is... Is it fair of Jeff to call Dan Quinn a retreat? Is that is that is that a little harsh? It's not harsh. I mean, uh, you know, what's a retread, right? I mean, retread, he, yeah, retread, I mean, he's retread. coached before and he's getting recycled. That's what you do in the NFL. And the interesting thing is to watch is how many black general managers, because that's the key, right? That's where the racism is and that's where it sticks. I'm going to, it, it's a human condition and natural thing for me to hire somebody I'm comfortable with that looks like me, talks like me because of the billion dollar owner behind me and all they want is for me to win. So I ain't got time to be trying to, we shall overcome all of that. Which... And a lot of the owners, most of the owners are, are white pro-Trump guys too. We got to keep kind of their philosophy. I don't know that pro-Trump, yeah. I wouldn't go that way. I wouldn't go that way, but they want to protect their money. They yeah, oh, I know. I was just pointing out ideologically and philosophically <laughs> where these owners are coming from. It is what it is. I mean, I'm just, you know, it doesn't mean they're they're all racist, but they're, but, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I'm sure some of my listeners are going to say, Paul, where you're going on that, but Hey, whatever. Well, I mean, Paul, so, I, I mean, I'm with, look, look, I, I mean, I can go further. Yeah. It's, it is, it's a, it's a plantation based league. Well, you're not the only one that feels that way, but I, I thought that Perlman's tweet would get you talking. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been, yeah, yeah, that's not the yeah. It's 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 ongoing. It's been ongoing every year. We see it all the time. Vance Joseph all the time. And I have a soft spot for Dan Quinn. You know, I thought he was a pretty good Seahawks defensive coordinator. You know, but but the same time as you pointed out, he's just sort of a typical former coach that a lot of the owners would would look at again to be a coach. You know, so. And there's nothing against Dan Quinn. I I think we want to be really careful. Nothing to do with Dan Quinn. It just goes back to the basic. Look, who am I comfortable with? You know what I'm saying? That's what it comes down to. Dan Quinn, good luck and hope he gets the job. I mean, that's nothing to do with Dan Quinn. It's the system and the structure. Perlman, though, in his tweet, used Dan Quinn as his example, though. That's kind of where... Well, yeah, no, but but, yeah, the structure is set, and Dan Quinn is an example. The root cause, you know, I I mean, it's it's set up. And so he just happens to be the next one, but it's happening everywhere. You know what I'm saying? It's not just... With Miami, I mean, it's you know the John. Like I said, we'll see what happens with the. You have you bring up some points. There are questions. How how well the Rooney Rule has worked? There have been more African American head coaches in recent years, but it's still a problem. So I. Well, there's only been two, and and the the classic thing about that is you know real quickly is is is, right. I mean, there's allegations that came up, but the questions that they're asking him are so ridiculous, and it's just only it wasn't meant for just just to reach a benchmark and a quota. But the point is, when you take the Rooney rule and you saw what happened in Miami, this is it. Last one hired, last one hired is the first one fired. That's the issue. Lot there, Omas Vita. You got me thinking a lot today, and um, I, I, you got the listeners and viewers thinking as well. A lot of great points. So thank you so much for coming on Sports Untold. Um, I really appreciate you, you being a guest today, and you and I will definitely be in touch. And let's have a good New Year, too, Masvita. Yeah, pa- thanks for having me, Paul. Can I get you on the other side, too, well, on the Seattle Sports Network? I don't want to hurt your good ratings, but I would consider it, sure. So. All right, bring your listeners. We need a few of them. Thank thanks, you so Masvita. much for having me. Thanks, Masvita. We'll be in touch. Having. All right, you take care. Let's have a good 2022. Thanks. All right, thanks. You too.